So Gustafson. Cancels out because of the hard work of Fabry. Puck goes back in and Stastny retrieves there. Stastny nicely able to pull away. Got it to Fabry. I think the only team having a worse April than us is the Atlanta Braves. They, oh, yeah? They have three home runs. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the team that started the season that got shut out like three games in a row? That was San the Padres. Diego, right? yeah. it, it, Andrew McCutcheon hit three home runs last night. The Braves have three this season. <laughs> but They're playing small ball. It's been a frustrating April. It's been kind of a slow spring. and I'll just say off the top, I anticipate it will be this way for – a couple of months. I'm going to have a baby. Mm, yeah. We're going to Pearl Jam yep. in a couple of weeks. We won't do a show that week. So I'm not saying we're going to every other week for a while. That's not the case. We're just kind of week to week. Our schedule is a fluid situation. Yeah. Our schedule in general is fluid. Uh, Don with coverage with the kids has been kind of here or there. Yes. So we're just kind of doing it when we can do it right now, mm-hmm. which maybe will be every other week. Maybe we'll do four in a row and then miss two weeks. This who, week, though, who knows? But it's a great time for it. There's a lot going on. Yeah, so we have a great show today, and Greg Wyshynski, the puck daddy, is in today. And we were going to do some basketball too, but I had someone bail on me. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> uh, Lee Jenkins is on next week. Uh, so the return of the king of the sportscasters. Uh, Lee will be in next week to talk basketball. Uh, so we have that on the schedule. But I just wanted to let everyone know. I mean, it's just kind of a slow spring for us. It's kind of yeah. is what it is. And then we'll, you know, we're still going to do 40 shows this year regardless. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. Let's get started with the show today. Uh, I did mention Greg Wyshynski's on. I don't know who the other guest is. That's fluid, but it'll be someone. Fantastic, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to update the book club. Jeff Passon's going to be in real soon. Uh, we thought about doing it this week, but I thought I already had two guests. So I was like, let's hold off and. So Passon will be in quick. We'll we'll talk about the, his book uh, later. I finished it. And also, one last thing, but uh, we have a lot to go over in three things. There might even be four things. Uh, so let's go. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, well, we'll start with the NHL playoffs where uh, St. Louis Blues on Monday got over the hump, beat the Blackhawks. I'll say this about the Blackhawks. They are the hardest out in the history of hockey. So in the last six seasons... They've won three cups and lost three game sevens, twice in overtime and once three to two in regulation. Yeah. And not only the game sevens, but in, elimin- in elimination games because they were down in the series, right? They played- yeah, they're 19 and one in game six. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So it's good. that is a good, good team. A really great group and an exciting series. 
Uh, Jonathan Taves is probably going to have a long uh, summer. He didn't have any goals uh, yeah. in the first round. Kane had the one dramatic overtime goal, but he also had like seven assists. Right. He was over. He was a point of game guy for sure. So, um, I mean, he, sure he'd tell you he needs to score more. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um, you think that play by the defenseman? You might have caught that. I was yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I mean, there's two guys behind him still. Way too cute. He's in the game neutral zone. Yeah, where's he going? That I don't know. But I mean, if he chips it up the wall there, I don't know. Yeah, he's got nowhere to go there. You just got to be safe. It's game seven, third period. I did after watching the replay. Like after that play, he gets back into the play, but he's kind of all over the place. So I mean, yeah, the defense is what costs the Blackhawks for sure. And they do every year. So I mean. They I mean, any time they, they yeah. don't yep. do well, that's the problem. Yep, and, uh, you know, TVR, I don't really think he's an NHL player, really. Uh, he had a really bad series. And Duncan Keith had a bad game seven. Um, and, of course, uh, Seabrook was the best defenseman. And man, he's going to have nightmares with the double post oh. slap shot. Yeah, if they, don't, if they didn't have three cups... Like I'd feel really bad for that fan base because that would be haunting. I yeah. mean, it still still could be, but it's round, it's round one. Yeah, they'll survive. So yeah, um, we still have one game in round one left. They'll play it tonight. Anaheim and Nashville. Nashville got off to the two zip start, and Anaheim won three in a row. Uh, Nashville forced a game seven at home. I gotta think it's Anaheim's night tonight, uh, but we'll see. Uh, uh, if Anaheim can pull it off, it'll be really interesting to see Anaheim-San Jose. San Jose has obviously been another team like the Blues who struggled in the first round the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they took care of L.A. pretty convincingly. Yeah, they were good. Uh, the only loss they had in the first round was in overtime, and it took a heroic play by Dustin Brown and the guy who scored. They just willed their way to a goal. Uh, but um, So the Kings are out, the Blackhawks are out, and the Bruins didn't make it. So that means we're going to have a new champion. Uh, the last six cups are won by those three teams. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have someone off the board a little bit. Unless Anaheim wins and you feel like, ah, well, they've won one recently. Pittsburgh, is that recent enough? Pittsburgh won in like 08 or 09. Yeah, and they went in the year before that. Yeah. Uh, but I would, I would, I think I'm probably rooting, if anyone, probably for Pittsburgh. Hmm. Uh, or Washington. Yeah, I'd be rooting probably. for Washington. One of the two. And, of course, the way like we were saying off the air – the bracket system, which I guess makes yeah, it's, picking it's teams fun. Uh, now you got Pittsburgh playing Washington right now. Hockey so. is and always was a sport of, you know, reseeding. Let the best play the worst. And they had a great one eight two seven three six four five thing going. Why they broke that up, uh, we'll never know. Um, oh, John Tavares. Got to talk about him. What an unbelievable first round. It's a series I was the most wrong about, and I think you called it. It did yeah, feel I did like have the Islanders. It, feel, it was it a big like, against Florida, though. Yeah, it felt like yeah. Florida was just a little bit not, not in over their heads. Yep, not ready for that. It was a pick against them. I wasn't even, I mean, the game, game five, the first double overtime win, I mean, was the least convincing win of the playoffs. I mean, Florida did everything but score six different times. In the two overtimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm sure. It, well, I mean, you pick a bracket now, so it's done. But I'm sure if I were to pick, I'd be picking against the Islanders in the next round. I, Tavares was awesome, though. He was he was great. Yeah, and I mean, Tampa Bay. Things have opened up for them. I mean, they got as bad of a as bad of a Detroit team. It's probably been in the playoffs in their 25 year run or whatever. Yep. Now they get an Islanders team that 
beat up Florida team that was in over its head and it's pretty average, really. They're just an average team. Right. And then they'll get to play the winner of, you know, whatever is left of and they may get Stamkos Pittsburgh back and, this series. He is skating. So. Yeah, and then they'll get whatever's left of Pittsburgh and Washington. Yeah, I was wrong about that series, too. I thought without their best player, I didn't know who was going to pick up for Tampa. But it turns out the guy Detroit just wasn't good enough. Yeah, no, they weren't that Yeah, Detroit just didn't have anything. And we kind of forget what a great playoff player Tyler Johnson's been, too. Uh, he was good again. Um, so, yeah, so I would, if I had a pick, make a cup pick now, based on what I've seen, I'd probably pick Pittsburgh against St. Louis. I have Washington and Dallas, so I guess I'll stick with that. Just, I don't have a lot of reason. I, I I would have liked to seen Dallas dismiss with Minnesota a little easier, but, I mean, it is the playoffs. and everything. Yeah, Dallas is a lot of trouble defending and goaltending yeah they're not very good at either position which could hurt them in the long run but I'll but they have that. such dazzling front end forwards they might be able to overcome it so yeah jamie ben like i've said before like and he was awesome he reminds me or i you know, flip it eichel reminds me of him like they're deceptively big and fast and sneaky and he's a lot of fun to watch spezza was awesome too yeah so we'll talk more about the nhl playoffs uh with greg washinsky uh, let's do NBA, and then we'll finish up, and we'll do football for a while. Uh, so the big story, obviously, in the NBA is Steph Curry's out. It's brutal. So he hurt his ankle, right? Then he came back from the ankle, only to slip in some water and hurt Tours, his knee. Yeah, or whatever it is. So it's an MCL injury, I mm-hmm. guess. I don't think there's any structural damage, so there's no tear or whatever. Uh, but he is going to be out about two weeks. That's brutal. I mean, they talked coming down the stretch that they weren't hiding it. They wanted the record or whatever, but that meant maybe playing a guy more. But this had nothing to do with that. Nah, probably he not. He survives all those yeah. games, and then something weird happens. And No, I mean, they should be able to, yeah, without much problem, right. get by Houston. You know, And then the interesting thing as well is that you look at a team like uh, – uh, the Clippers, who they may face in round two. They're missing the two best players. Now, Blake Griffin is supposedly done, and Chris Paul had surgery. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, Griffin's that's out. That's a bummer for the league. Yeah. Blake Griffin is out for the rest of the playoffs after av- aggregating his left quad. Chris Paul had right-hand surgery Tuesday. Um, so they'll be out. Both of them will be out for the rest of round one against Portland. I know you're an Oklahoma guy. I don't know how much of an Oklahoma basketball guy you are. That's always been a problem of Griffin's, isn't it? Staying on the court? Uh, well, in the NBA. I mean, not in Oklahoma. Oh, not in Oklahoma. No. Okay. I mean, he only played there two years, and he was healthy both oh, years. Oh, gotcha. okay. So, no, he didn't have a problem there. But, um, yeah, he's certainly had his fair share of injuries in the NBA. And this is, I mean, this is a re-injury. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? He was out most of the year with this as it was. And, I, I mean, he missed 41 games with yeah. an injury this year. Yeah. So. So that's sort of a lost year uh, for him, for sure, and a disappointment for the NBA, whose first round of the playoffs, I mean, is as bad as as anything you can think of. It always kind of is, though. I mean, I'm not a basketball guy, and we don't hide that or whatever, but uh, every year it feels like just the league is too top-heavy. It's terrible. And they do the 8-1 thing, so it's almost like... Uh, college basketball, where and they used rarely to have does the eight come out of that. And they used to have this figured out. And what they would do is play a best of five in round one. 
Right. Oh, yeah. You That's know, right. but then Greed stepped in, and they wanted to have those extra games. So, you know, they did. They do have Charlotte and Miami, the 3-6, uh, in the East at 2-2. Uh, so maybe some intrigue there. But, I mean, a lot of series are 3-1 to one or 3-0 to zero or over already. So I think the main the main story has been that, you know, the two guys on the Clippers are out. Where does that leave them? Uh, Mark Cuban said that Russell Westbrook isn't a star, a superstar. He's just an all-pro. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the all-pro and the superstar Kevin Durant disposing the Mavericks quick. <laughs> um, and, of course, San Antonio maybe you would say right now is the favorite. Sure. They're always there. And Curry is it's a question hurt, mark. Right, yeah. And I mean, Golden State could maybe do some things, but nobody thinks they're beating San Antonio without Steph Curry, right? So we'll keep an eye on that, and we will talk to Lee Jenkins next week and get some real expertise. Have you seen any NBA playoffs? No, it's... That's a function of it being all hockey, though. Like, yeah, if how I, much hockey have you watched? Because I was getting to that. All of it that I could. Yeah. You know what's weird? A little bit is, every night. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I have to flip something on for the kids before bed, I do. But then I get back to hockey, and usually, if I'm not glued to the TV, it's on the TV. I mean, if I'm doing something on my right. computer or whatever, it's still on the TV. I. It's weird. I was kind of thinking back to the first round, and like somehow we talked about Pittsburgh, New York, being like. NBC's dream matchup. I don't think I caught any of that somehow. Like that series just escaped me. And they did get NBC did squeeze in the two three o'clock games there with that series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's probably part of it. Is I didn't. I don't think I watched much of those games. All right. Last thing. Let's talk about the NFL. There's a bunch. First of all, Tom Brady is apparently suspended again. Again. Yeah. Whatever. I could care less. That's a terrible job by the NFL players. So that's a bad CBA that allows that to happen i mean because that it's gonna change uh, yeah i mean next time the cba is up yeah. that so way. does that mean we're gonna need a lockout to change it so i was thinking about this the other day that'll they're I, not gonna sign another deal with this guy having totalitarian power no i mean he's he essentially can arbitrarily assign suspensions and then appeal those suspensions and then i don't know what the what court came back with this? It was like some other... The appeal? Yeah, whatever this appeal was. So I'm assuming so that Brady's okay. going to take it right to the Supreme Court. Yeah. I guess, right? I mean, yeah, I mean he has to. Far. I think he has to. I think so. th- there is no other alternative other than just to sit it out. But whatever. Um, and, and just to be clear, too, and I think the judge made this point, he didn't rule at all on the case. His ruling had nothing to do with the case. His judgment was just that the commissioner had the right to make the suspension. And so appeal, he reinstated. See his own appeal. Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, this. I don't want to hear from anyone that this is any more proof or less proof. Either way, that Tom Brady did or didn't have anything to do with this. That's not what the judge oh, made right. a ruling on. Yeah. It doesn't mean he didn't do it. It doesn't mean he did do it any more or less than before this ruling. Right. This ruling was simply by the judge saying that. The suspension is valid because the commissioner made the suspension. Yeah, and anyone here that ever thinks that the Patriots have everything go their way, like that's delusional. I think if anything, I think this was a reputational suspension. Like I think this was the type of thing where they kind of got away with some stuff in the past. Oh yeah, way back in the day when this suspension was laid out. Yes, yeah, it was I about think it that. Was, yeah. yeah, and that's and he was able to see it through, which is which is shocking to me. Now, if I was the Patriots, I'd probably want him to just sit out the four games, move on. Yeah, maybe. 
That would, I mean, that's what I would want. I don't think he will, or I don't think they can do that at this point, but I'd want that. So, anyway, Drew Brees did state publicly that Goodell, quote, definitely has too much power, unquote. And that's I think that I think that the players feel that way in general. It'll be interesting how far they will be willing to go uh, when this CBA expires to make sure that there's a change there. Uh, anyway, the exciting news, because I always love it every year, is there is an NFL draft tomorrow. We're recording on Thursday. This Wednesday. Will, Wednesday. Yep. This will go up sometimes thir- sometime Thursday, maybe Friday morning. So probably by the time you've heard it, you've seen the draft. So we're not going to go into too much um, mock draft type things. Yeah, but I don't know anything anyway. Uh, but obviously we know that probably the first and second pick is going to be Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. How do people? How are people still so torn on that? Like which one the top team wants? Like it seems like some people are sure. I think it's they... just fun to do. Yeah, you think that's all it but is? We've had it over the years, whether it was Bledsoe and Meyer or Manning and Beef. Rodgers. Rodgers and Alex Smith. Smith yeah. You know, it's always fun when you have two quarterbacks sure. you can debate. And, you know, I've heard passionate arguments for Jared Goff, and I've heard passionate arguments for Carson Wentz, and I've even heard passionate arguments against them both. Yeah. Do you think if you're the Eagles moving into number two, it's the type of thing where you have a great idea who the Rams are taking, or you're just happy with either guy? i got to think that if you're moving all the way to two, and spending what you spent, you have a guy in mind, and you have a pretty good idea. I wonder how pissed they're going to get the that other way guy. around. But my guess is that they're you make that you. trade knowing that you'll pick the other guy. Yeah. Now I want to say one thing about Sam Bradford uh, because he's taken a lot of heat. I just want to say that he was a free agent like a month ago, and re-signed with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Now I assumed that the Eagles didn't tell him, "Hey, sign this contract because we're going to bring you in." So that we can draft a quarterback at number two and then put you to the bench by week nine when he's ready. Yeah, the interesting thing I've heard is that the Eagles have said Bradford is our starter. Now, like you said, they don't they didn't say for the season or anything like that. And the other thing is, if you're Sam Bradford and you're the starter and you think you're a team that's probably pretty good, you know, the defense is good, they've got some ability on offense. You'd want them to draft a guy that's going to help right now, not, right. not a guy that's going to And Sam him. Bradford had leverage a month ago as a free agent, and right. he, he surrendered that. Now, I don't know what the conversation was between him and the Eagles. I have no idea. Nobody does. Right. But I'd assume it wasn't, yeah, we're really seriously looking at moving up into this draft at number two and picking a quarterback. And Sam Bradford's agent did say, you know, it's it, he's not afraid of competition, but a competition versus a number two overall pick is a rigged competition because right. whenever the number two overall pick is ready to go in, he's going to go in. Yeah, that coach, that general manager are attached to the and number two pick, every, not to Sam Bradford. Every, t- every time Sam Bradford is a bad series, a bad half, a bad quarter, it's going to be, well, maybe it's time to bring in number two pick. You know, that's a hard way to play. So, I mean, you know, look at Sam Bradford has earned a ton of money for not a ton of production in the NFL. Right. He's also sacrificed a lot. On his body, knee ligaments, and I don't know if going public that. with the trade request is a good idea. I don't know who does that. I don't know if that's the agent that leaks that, if it's the team that puts that out there. Like I don't know who strategically does that. But I mean, this could be the best thing that ever happens to him. Denver is still looking for a quarterback. I mean, if Colin Kaepernick can't be pulled out of San Francisco, then maybe Sam Bradford. I mean, 
Peyton Manning's maybe the greatest quarterback that's ever played, but he was terrible last year and they won a right. Super Bowl with yeah. him. So he's gonna if he can land in Denver, they got weapons there, so Yeah, I didn't want to be an apologist for him. I just wanted to make the point that you know, a month ago he was a free agent and the Eagles didn't have the number two overall pick. And I'm sure there was a conversation between Sam Bradford and the Eagles about what his role sure. on the team is going to be. Forward, yeah. You know, so I do feel bad for him a little bit in that sense. Uh, what is, in your mind, Don, the biggest need for the Buffalo Bills this weekend? Um, anything but offensive line. Uh, cornerback, I don't think they need. I know Rex loves corners, but they have two really good ones. Actually, like there was a cool infographic that got posted like after Norman signed his big deals. Like His numbers and Gilmore's numbers are almost identical. Like Gilmore had quietly a really, really good year. It's kind of like you were arguing with someone on Facebook about, uh, what's his name, Keenan Lewis. He had a great year on a bad defense. I mean, that, you could say the same thing about Gilmore last year. Uh, probably linebacker or Mario Williams replacement. Yahoo says that the Buffalo Bills' biggest need is defensive end, and they mentioned losing Mario Williams. Isn't necessarily a huge deal because he never showed up last season anyway. Right. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing the article here, but the Bills are a pretty solid team on paper, and they could use a second pass rushing end to go with Jerry Hughes. Now, the Saints, not that different. Um, they probably need a defensive lineman, yeah. uh, whether it's a tackle or a linebacker. That's that's kind of uh, how the Bills are, too, in that he plays a 3-4. So, like, a guy that's a D... Some guys are just listed as, like, DL. And Yeah, the Saints probably most need someone in the front seven that can rush the passer. Uh, but don't be surprised that if Treadwell is there at twelve, they pick him at wide receiver. Why would a team? Who did I see rumors? Why? Do, why would a team like the Saints kind of keep their eye on a quarterback so much? Or wasn't there rumors they were well, trying to move up? Look at the Saints unequivocally denied that they were trying to move up to two or one. Oh, they did. Okay. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked either if at some point the Saints moved back into round one because they love to do that mm-hmm. and picked. A quarterback that they think maybe could be Aaron Rodgers, like Hackenberg, or Kirk, you know, drafted or, in the twenties. Right. You know, whether it's you know Paxton Lynch or uh, Hackenberg from Penn State or whoever. Yeah, I'd have no problem with that in theory. But Drew Brees had a good year last what year. What they can't do is pick a quarterback at twelve. Right. They need to pick someone who can make an impact on the team this year. I mean, as much as they didn't have a great year last year, they're a team built to win now. I mean, that's just based on a quarterback. It's a quarterback league. They've got a great quarterback that's getting older. So Yeah, so I would expect them to pick either a defensive lineman, whether it be tackle or end, or maybe take a risk on Treadwell or a wide receiver if there's a player oh, okay. that's just too good to pass up. Uh, especially since their number one receiver probably would function better as a number two. A number two. So um, I wouldn't be shocked at that. Uh, what else draft-wise are you keeping your eye on this weekend? Anything? I'm interested about the trades. I'm always interested. People always suspect there'll be tons of trades, and then it doesn't usually pan out, but I'm interested. I, I would like to see the Bills get more picks. Like They've got a lot of, a lot of depth issues, and uh, so if they could trade back a spot or two and still get a lineman and a linebacker, that would be my... I'm going to try to get Don to do a live blog. Uh, yeah. We'll see, and I am going to do one for Pro Player Insiders. Uh, we'll t- tweet out the links to that. So hopefully there'll be some live blogging going on. Um, uh, a couple small things I wanted to mention. Did you see uh, Jake Arietta had a no-hitter 
His second second, yeah. second one in less than a year. Uh, he had that. Everyone's leaving ESPN. Yeah. Mike Tirico is apparently going to NBC, uh, where he'll eventually replace Al Michaels. And that makes sense for him because then he can call a Super Bowl. He can't call a Super Bowl at ESPN. He's been in here before, and he's just so impressive, Tirico. And he does everything. One of the best. Swiss Army knife, that guy. One of the best. Uh, I'm sure he'll miss basketball, but he'll still get tennis there. Right. And the Olympics. Mm -hmm. You know, Bob Costas is probably not going to want to be the main man of Olympics very much longer. Uh, Sets a great hire there. Uh, What else happened? Uh, Skip Bayless left, I guess, ESPN. Uh, $5 million a year, reportedly, to go to Fox. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it He's either. a soundbite. Like, I've never. But he's a joke. Never bite. enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know. Not for me, I guess. Uh, what else happened this week? There's a ton of stuff. I mean, it just seemed like every day. I know I texted you earlier in the week. It was like. Easy show to fill. Easy show to fill, and it was. Oh, the UFC 200 main event was announced today. And it's going to oh, be yeah? Cormier versus Jones, too. Oh, okay. I actually watched uh, Jones fight Saturday. It was his first fight in over a year, and you could tell he was rusty. Uh, But I guess Jones-Cormier, that's a huge fight if you're a UFC guy. Uh, So that will be their big main event for UFC 200, which means that Conor McGregor is still out. This is also the week where Conor McGregor retired and unretired. Right. Uh, So there was that drama as well. Oh, and Kurt Schilling got fired. I did want to say something about that. Um, there's been a lot of debate about free speech and the First Amendment and things like that. And, of course, the First Amendment doesn't mean that you're free from punishment for the things that right. you say potentially. Right. But the more that we're firing people uh, for disagreeing uh, with whatever the mainstream opinion is, the more we're limiting free speech, right? I mean, if you're telling people the consequences for your opinion are you're not going to be employable. Yeah, the only thing I would you're say limiting about limiting free speech. The only thing I would he say, didn't say anything hateful. He, he didn't, didn't, but he posted like a controversial meme. It was controversial, yes. Hateful, no. But this is the second time he's done it. So if I'm his company, I'm like, this guy's. I mean, is he worth? The headache. Well, maybe not, but I mean, if you post thirty controversial memes, that should still be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't mean, want ESPN this to, be, to sell commercials. I, I don't want this to be a defense of Kurt Schilling. And you say ESPN needs to sell commercials. Was there any proof anyone was not going to buy a commercial? That I don't know. That I don't know. But I, I just know that this has come up for him before, and they kind of what did they do? Suspended him, and then they let him get back at it, and then he did it again. Like I, I would just I say, I don't think he said anything hateful, controversial, maybe unfair, maybe misguided, not hateful. It just wasn't. Yeah, I would say I have a bigger problem if I'm ESPN with the lack of judgment. As far as like how that was going to be received, than I do with, and also I will say like he's, he's entitled to his opinion. I don't they, care about that. They but. got the Kurt Schilling they thought they got when they hired him. Well, that's this true isn't too. a surprise. No, to them. right, that's true. You know, they got Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling was Kurt Schilling, and now they're firing him for being Kurt Schilling. Right. You know, I mean so. that's that's the Opie and Anthony when they got. I mean right. that's that's this is probably a sure you fire a guy that speaks or you hire a guy that speaks his mind and then he speaks. I mean, next time we have Deitch or Sherman or someone who really analyzes this stuff, we'll definitely bring it up. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, it's interesting to me. I don't know I don't know what the right answer is. 
I understand why he got fired, though, because like you said, how many times are you going to deal with this guy? And if, but I, I think it comes down to numbers too. If he was bringing in massive numbers and people were saying like I'm watching because of Kurt Schilling, no, they I, fired Simmons. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it doesn't get much bigger that than Simmons. That is true. So I don't know. ESPN kind of operates on their own set of rules. Simmons felt like an ego thing, though, not from his point of view, but from Maybe ESPN's. Both, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's talk playoff hockey with Greg Wyshynski. All right, our next guest is from Matawan, New Jersey, and is a graduate of Maryland. Uh, he is the editor and main contributor of the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo. And he's also the co-host of the Merrick vs. Wyshynski podcast and the new Puck Soup podcast. Uh, last time he was on, he was here promoting his second book, and he's making his 13th appearance on the podcast today. Uh, his first appearance was episode 2. Uh, a warm sportscaster's welcome to the Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski. What's up, Greg? So being that it's the 13th, should I just hang up and call back? So we can do 14. Un- unlucky voodoo <laughs> number and get to the, the better one. Yeah, we should probably do that. Although, like, who's a good 13? Solani? Did Solani wear 13? Oh, no, we got other fights on playing. Um, yeah, 13 is a tricky number. Yeah, I, it I is. don't know. That's, some people, I don't know if it's, it, it's that popular. <laughs> some people think it's lucky. Some people think it's unlucky, right? Go either way. Well, I would, I would veer towards the unlucky. Right. I mean, I think as, as far as the superstitions go, I, I mean, I, aren't there like buildings that don't have a 13th floor for the express reason that yes. it's like the mark of the beast or something? Yes, I've heard that. Now, yeah. that brings up numbers real quick because, you know, hockey and numbers are probably, I mean, I don't think any sport are the numbers as important to the players as hockey. Um, do you have a number? What's your number? So you jo- you join a men's team tomorrow and you get first choice in number. What number are you going? Oh, if I was going to grab a number, um, it, it depends on, on what I'm doing that night. Because if it's obviously if it's defense, then I'll take four. Okay, Stevens. Mm-hmm. But if it's up front, I'd take I'd take the double deuces. I'd take twenty two for Claude Lemieux. I like it. I like the loyalty to the squad. Yeah, I yeah. never I never played growing up too much. Like we just played in the street. So the only number I was ever really associated with was playing baseball, which was forty seven because I was a pitcher. Yeah, I was um, I was when I was growing up. I mean, I was a huge Beret guy, and I was mm-hmm. I was also a huge Dave Justice guy. So when I played baseball, I would wear ten, and when I played hockey, I would wear twenty three. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so I because I I was like I, I always felt silly wearing ten playing hockey because i was certainly no bury and i felt silly <laughs> <laughs> i felt silly but, but, you know the retired the, the number like honored numbers the retired numbers thing is always an interesting thing for me like it's i find it fascinating that like the nhl retired gretzky across the board mm-hmm. and that major league baseball retired jackie robinson across the board and, and in my first book i actually talk about the jackie robinson thing and, and in the sense that like isn't it more is it doesn't it do more to remind people about someone's legacy if they wear that number in honor of the player? Like, I don't always think it, it needs to be, oh, he's wearing 99, he thinks he's Gretzky. It's like, I'm wearing 99 because Gretzky's the guy who got me to play hockey, or I'm wearing Jackie Robinson's number because he inspired me to do something else. And it's like, I feel like taking those numbers out of circulation 
in some ways sort of cheapens the legacy. Um, but at the same time, I also understand that like the odds of like Connor McDavid taking 99 <laughs> are, are pretty slim, uh, even if he was allowed to wear it. Right. Baseball does a cool thing having everyone wear 42 one day a year. I like that. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah. And, um, and there's been some cool moments around the retired number. I mean, the Ray Bork taking the jersey off. I mean, that's as awesome of a moment. Oh yeah, I've got no problem with. I got a problem with like the individual number of retirements for teams. I just think the across the board retirement of ninety nine and forty two is a little a little weird. Yeah, I see what you mean for sure. Uh, I remember too in baseball when they were you were counting down the last forty twos. I think Rivera was the last the last last one. Yep. Yep. So, what are we talking about? It is the playoffs, and we are talking about numbers. Uh, Last night, the first round ended. Uh, We talked about it a little bit before. Uh, we got on, and the Ducks did what the Ducks do, right? They lost a Game 7 at home for the fourth straight season, which blows my mind that that's even possible. Um, (laughs) You know, not necessarily that, you know, when you look at each one individually, you know, like there was no huge shame in losing Game 7 to the Blackhawks last year necessarily. Uh, But this one feels like one they should have had this one, I feel like. You know, so what, yeah, I mean, because they they had two they had two whacks of the pinata, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they had they had Game Six in, in Nashville, and they had Game Seven, and you know, it's I, I'm I'm trying to I got to write something for Puck Daddy today about Boudreaux and and Game Sevens, and I can't quite wrap my brain around it because I've seen the numbers, and the numbers for his teams in Game Sevens are good. I mean, it's not as if the they fall off a, a statistical cliff. Um, as far as like puck possession and things like that, the save percentages do, but but everything else, as far as like what the team does, doesn't seem to really be that far off from what they do in the rest of the series. But at the same time, like he's one in seven <laughs> in, right. in game seven, which is and in, it's an insane number. And and like maybe the only one of the working theories that I have is that he's obviously coaching teams that are really good, right? Across the board, the Capitals, the Ducks, these are first-place teams, 100-point teams. And maybe psychologically, when you're one of those teams going to a Game 7, undoubtedly it's against an inferior opponent, and there's that extra mental strain on you where the other guy might be playing a little bit looser. And particularly when you think about like the Montreal series that he had when he was in D.C., Right. Where the the Habs rallied and and with Halak they upset the Capitals and basically forced the Capitals to rethink everything they do. And the only thing I could think of is like maybe the stress of of having these teams with extraordinarily high expectations have to play for their playoff lives in the first or second round against what should be a beatable opponent is one of the reasons why they struggle so badly. Yeah, and I mean it doesn't help when Pekarene plays as well as he played last night. You know, Corey, yeah. Corey Perry. I thought he played hard. He just he just couldn't buy one. You know, and mm-hmm. um, you know that's it for the Ducks. And I do feel bad for Boudreaux because he seems like a really good guy too. You know, I think I think it was you who tweeted about how last night about how you <laughs> couldn't even imagine what people would write about this guy if he wasn't such a good guy. Uh, yeah, that's that's part of the interesting like so, sort of frustration about it is like they lose last night and. You know the the immediate reaction is well I hope I hope you know if this is the end for Gabby he ends up someplace great and you know to continue his success and like 
there's a part of me that's that's thinking about that Ducks fan that's out there thinking, yeah, but he's one in seven in Game Seven. It's like if this guy was not a big teddy bear and not somebody that people genuinely love talking to and wasn't the the character that he is, like if this was Tortorella, I was just who was thinking one that. Se- yeah, one yeah. in seven in Game Sevens. Like, would anybody say, "Let's get this guy a job, lickety split"? It's it's <laughs> no. it's kind of a fascinating thing to, to see. Yeah, and on the other hand, we have Nashville, who was a really hot team down the stretch, uh, and made the huge trade um, in the middle of the season. Uh, not that I thought Ryan was that great in the series or anything; he wasn't. Uh, but they have the two great defensemen, a good goalie a, who played great last night, uh, and now they will play the Sharks, who are another first round are one of the two first-round West teams who seem to exercise a demon, uh, if that's fair to say, in the first round of the playoffs. What do you think about uh, the Preds going forward? I don't, I don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like, I, think, I think Wilson had a great Game 7, he had did. a good series. Sweet goal. Um, yeah, they've had some, some heroes here and there. But, the, you know, Rene is going to play great, I guess, and that's, that's good news for them, and it'll keep them in games. But that Sharks team dismantled the Kings. Impressive, and that man. Sharks team also has a lot of strengths up the middle. And I, and I still think even with the acquisition of Johansson, that's a, a bit of a donut lineup for the, for the Predators right now. So um, I, I, like, I like the Sharks in the series. I, I, may have, I think I may even, even pick them in five to advance. You know, the, the Sharks are maybe benefiting a little bit from what you talked about with the Ducks about the opposite though like they didn't have the pressure this year they didn't have the expectation and I don't know if that's why they were so impressive in round one uh, but man were they impressive I mean the only mm-hmm. game they lost I mean was in overtime on one of the coolest power goals I've seen in a long time in the <laughs> you know but otherwise I mean they just played an awesome series against a team that they always lose to, a team that they got up 3 nothing on, uh, and then, which I thought was really cool, this is a team they got up 3 nothing on and lost 4-3. Then they get up 3 nothing again, they lose a devastating overtime game, and then in the next game they have a big lead that they give away. You know, they had missed a penalty shot that could have made it 4 nothing. Mm-hmm. then it's 3-3, then they come out and play maybe the best period they played all series. Yeah. Uh, so... I'm pretty excited about the Sharks, um, and it seems like you are as well. Yeah, I am. And I think it's a combination of a couple things. One is you can't underestimate the leadership shift to Pavelski and this becoming his team and having a stronger voice and kind of reducing the roles of, of Thornton and Marlowe insofar as that leadership capacity. That's huge, and, and I think that this team feeds off his performances uh, you can't underestimate Martin Jones, kind of proven already that he's a competent playoff goalie. Yeah, And, like, it, it's tough to gauge sometimes. We, we do have these three teams that have all advanced the second round, the Capitals, the Blues, and the Sharks, that are traditionally pretty you know, disappointing in the playoffs. And, you know, you, you can't really play psychologists too much, but you wonder maybe the, the Sharks had gone through everything they need to get through to finally get their heads in the right place and find that confidence and, and don't, you know, fold at the first sign of, of adversity. And, you know, the Blues were kind of the same way, and, and the Caps were kind of the same way, too. 
Do you think a team like the Sharks gets an edge when you get to this point and further? Uh, you know, obviously Nashville had to play uh, in Anaheim in round one, which is a coast to coast trip, and now they're going to basically have to stay away from home for about six days. It sounds like they're just going to stay out there, uh, and you know, the Sharks were able to play another California team. They made quick work, uh, and now as opposed to being the team on the road for six days to start the series, they're going to be at home. Is that something you think uh, is, a, is a factor? Is that something you put a lot of stock in? Or is that something you kind of say we kind of overblow as narrative? Well, they, they haven't been great at home. <laughs> it's, like, the first thing we got to mention is that the Sharks this season haven't been all that great at home during, during stretches, although they kind of remedied that in the, in the second half of the season. But, um, no, I, I think it's more along the lines of comfort level and rest. You know, I thought that, uh, you know, getting that extra rest is a good thing for them. You do have sort of veterans on that team. But sometimes rest can be a double-edged sword because, as we saw in game one with, with Tampa, that layoff probably messed with them a little bit. And, uh, you know, Bishop goes out and lays an egg against the Islanders in the first game. You wonder, you know, they were so locked in against Detroit and then had a ba- basically a week off. Like, how did that affect, it? How did that affect things? Yeah, yeah. Game one is always the tricky one for the teams with the rest, right? I mean, you always know a team that rested is vulnerable, but you wonder if, as this series wears on, if that's when maybe the advantage creeps in or not. Yeah, but for sure. Uh, we all know that this format stinks, so we don't need to take a lot of time. <laughs> I don't think into debating that. Um, and we had a three versus five overall matchup in round one, and I knew it would be awesome, and I think it was awesome. Uh, the Blackhawks have got to be the hardest out I've watched as a group, as a hockey fan. I mean, you look at the last six years, and they've either won the cup or lost a game seven in overtime or by three to two uh, like they did the other night. Uh, I want to talk a lot about the Blues, but a real quick uh, look uh, back at the Hawks. What do you think about uh, the Hawks, uh, whose season ends a little bit premature uh, this year, Obviously, that we've been used to. Well, I think I think it's I think this one's on Stan Bowman a bit. Um, they had to bring in some help up front, but I think they did it at the neglect of their defense. Right. Crawford, to me, should have been one of the three best in the finalists. I think it's a shame he wasn't, but he was able to overcome and cover up for deficiencies on that blue line. They really missed Oduya. The entire Trevor Daly to Rob Scuderi to Christian Erhoff thing was a disaster, and uh, and they went to war with Gustafson and, and Van Riemsdyk, not ready for prime time. And maybe they will be down the line. Maybe this eventually helps them, but as of right now, like you know, Van Riemsdyk made two gigantic mistakes on a loss. Yeah, he was terrible. Gustafson made a gigantic mistake in the game seven loss. Like yeah. it, it adds up, and you don't have you miss those those competent plays that they'll do you would make. So. They'll end up addressing the blue line in some way, and they're obviously going to have to make a decision on Shaw, uh, which will be an interesting one. There's, I know there, there's some talk this morning of maybe Shaw and Bickle being packaged uh, somewhere, which would be interesting. I, I want, one place that was mentioned that I thought was interesting would be Calgary, which obviously has a lot of money tied up in their blue line right now. And, and you know, Would they be interested in maybe dealing um, a Giordano to, to the uh, Blackhawks if, if they get a significant return back? So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I thought the Blues showed a lot, uh, again, showed poise, sort of like the Sharks. They blew the 3-1 to lead in the series. 
They're play, facing the pressure of the game seven at home. I don't think a lot of people were picking them to win that game. Uh, and then they get ahead two to nothing, and, and then that evaporates. Uh, but they got the goal in the third period. I was really impressed uh, with Jaden Schwartz uh, all series. I thought he kind of was the Jaden Schwartz I thought he would be when I watched him in the USHL uh, five years ago or so now. Uh, and I just thought, um, man, they were great. They were just great. Uh, they they took they took the Hawks' best shot, and, and they're going around round two. Uh, what did you think of the Bulls? Yeah. What stuck out? Uh, Brian Elliott. I mean, like yeah, that. To great. me, the, the mm-hmm. things that they haven't had in previous postseasons were, you know, that that, that secondary scoring to get a, a goal they needed in a big spot. I think they had that. Obviously, you know, Brower, you know, coming up with a big goal in Game Seven was the sort of thing that they've needed for years, and finally got. Uh, but Elliott's the difference. I mean, you know, there was some talk about whether they should have flipped to Allen in Game Seven. I'm happy they didn't. I'm sure they're happy they didn't either. His his play in the first few games of that series went a long way to establishing the confidence they needed to take out the Hawks, and uh, and I, I thought he was brilliant. I mean, it, he outplayed Crawford, and Crawford played fantastic too. Um, I don't know if Elliott can repeat it. <laughs> I think he can, but uh, if he can't, uh, they 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 can know that the reason they won that series against Chicago was because they their goaltending finally showed up and and. And uh, and stole a couple games and and won a series for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was fantastic. He was everything Ryan Miller wasn't for them uh, when they played the Hawks yep. a few years ago. Yep. Uh, they'll face yep. Dallas now, who really I thought raised more questions uh, than answers in round one. Uh, they they're fun to watch for sure. Uh, but man, Lindy's got to be sweating bullets every <clears throat> night back there. They give up a ton of chances, a ton of goals. I don't know that they have a goalie who can win this thing. I don't know what's up with Sagan. I don't. I don't know if we're going to see him uh, this series or not. Uh, do you do you, do you like the Stars at all, or, or do you think this is St. Louis's series to win or lose? I think St. Louis. I think St. Louis probably wins in six. Um, the the interesting thing for me, obviously, is that I think Lettman could be that goalie that takes over a series, but yeah, he's also a guy who can't seem to put you know two games back to back that are consistent, which is the issue. Um, and I also think that, like you said before, the the Blackhawks were such a tough out. You wonder, what? by comparison, right. <laughs> what it's going to be like to all of a sudden go against a team that, at times, puts down the welcome mat for you in their own in their own zone. And uh, and you wonder what that's going to be like for St. Louis, having fought and scratched and clawed for every goal against a really good team. Uh, now all of a sudden, finding. Alex Golodowski not exactly being Duncan Keith back there. So I, I think I think it all stacks up pretty well for St. Louis to win this series, especially if Sagan can't answer the bell. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, the Stars are, are, are a tough team to figure because there's no team left in the postseason that can score like they can. And, and if you have that in the playoffs, that ability to score at will, the ability to score in any situation or, or stay in any game, that's, that's a huge X factor. Uh, even with St. Louis being pretty stout defensively, it sounds like you like the Sharks to be in the Cup in the West. I like the Sharks and the Blues to be in the in the, in the conference final, but I want to see what shape they're in coming out of these series. Like that's going to be a heavy series, that Nashville series for San Jose. It's not yeah. gonna, I mean, the, the King series was heavy too, um, but it's that's going to be there's going to be some banging, and, and you know the, the Predators have some guys that uh, can take you out both legally and in James Neal's case illegally. So if they come out of that series with a series win, but like Logan Couture is concussed, then I'm not I'm not ready to put, uh, you know, put them into the Cup final quite yet. 
You know, I was thinking last night uh, when the clock hit zero and the Ducks are out. I just had this thought, and I wasn't the only one who had the thought because I've seen it on Twitter in a few different spots as well. I was thinking that Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin had to be sitting in their respective uh, living rooms thinking, man, the Western Conference just suddenly kind of cleared up. Uh, Three of the monsters out there are gone. And I was wondering if they were thinking, if I can just get by the other guy in this next round, we have a really serious look at this. No, for sure. And especially in the Capitals case, like, they're they're better than either team in in the coming out of the Atlantic, um, and I think they've always felt that if they can exercise some demons and in beating the Flyers and escaping that series, that's one. Get past Crosby and the Penguins, that'd be two. Uh, they'd be on their way to something special. And in, in Pittsburgh's case, I'm sure it's it's the same way. I'm sure they, they I'm sure they feel that the Capitals are going to be a huge test, especially Holtby. Um, but I imagine they probably have a, a larger picture of how difficult it's going to be to maybe play a San Jose or, or a St. Louis. I think the Capitals feel <clears throat> probably a bit more swaggery coming out of that series if they win. Yeah, and, and you know, I had this this other thought. At, as soon as I heard that the NHL, for some reason, wasn't bringing Sidney Crosby to the All-Star game, I just kind of figured he was going to just be on a tear from that point on. And he has been, really. I mean, he's been well, as good as anyone since. I, I think I think there's I think you're, it's two different things. I mean, like he's on a tear one because he hated his coach, and That's they brought true. in a guy yeah. that was able to really play a style that had the Penguins engaged and and being offensive and being creative and not having to worry about defensive responsibility as much as they did under Johnson. And then the All Star thing, he wasn't invited because he never comes. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Like the NHL finally said, "Look, we are tired of naming you to the All Star game, and then you coming up with some." ticky-tacky injury or or what have you uh, and not showing up even when the all-star game is in Columbus and you're in Pittsburgh uh, and they finally just said enough and, and I, I I congratulate them for it you know I, I think it's embarrassing for the league when the biggest stars find reasons to never show up and Crosby's only participated in one all-star oh, yeah. game uh, so I, I, I give them full credit for for standing up and saying You've got the name recognition, but we'd rather have guys that want to be there. I just think that guys like that, I mean, if you think about Michael Jordan, I mean, his Hall of Fame speech, like five minutes of it was about him getting overlooked his sophomore year of high school. And I just think guys guys like that are fueled off of perceived slights like this. Yeah, well, I mean, if there was any perceived slight of Sid this year, it was probably people saying he was done. When he wasn't producing, but, like I mean, there was a lot of stuff written about Early, have yeah. we seen the best of Sydney Crosby? Nobody, is, is, nobody you know, can play Cros- with him. Yeah, yeah, Crosby yeah. old news, yada yada yada. So yeah. that probably, you know, once he started to get his uh, his numbers up, I'm sure that was probably a motivating factor as well. You know, I picked the Islanders in round one only because I thought it w- I was making a pick against Florida. I just thought that they were a year ahead of schedule, um, and they just seemed like a team uh, over the years of me watching hockey that would. Would lose a round one like that. I don't know for sure. I thought it would happen, but I stepped out and made the risk by making the pick. I mm-hmm. did not think the Islanders would win a game in this next series. Uh, maybe that was foolish because Tampa Bay uh, is not full full out Tampa Bay right now. But what do you make of the Islanders and up one game their chances to in the second round? They were they were definitely good enough to win a couple games. I, I had Tampa. I think in in six or seven. Um, I can't remember what the exact number is, but I had him winning the series. And, like, 
that's they were you know the way Grice is playing and the way Tavares is willing them to victory like they were good for a win or two. Uh, the game one thing, though, is a reminder of, of what the Islanders were in the first round and how that's sort of carried over. Like, there were stretches in the game when the Lightning dominated and the Islanders' possession numbers in the first round were pretty garbage compared to that of Florida. Um, and you got an amazing performance of the Grice. You got another magical night from Tavares. But then you also had this, this you know, Shane Prince stepping up with two goals, and that's sort of been the story for them, is that, like, as much as, Tavares has gotten the accolades for being, you know, a Hart Trophy nominee, uh, or a, rather a, a Conn Smythe nominee through the first round. Um, it's kind of been a different hero every night for them. And, and I think that uh, you had Prince, and he did something in the first round too. You had uh, Kine, you had uh, uh, Hart, you know, uh, uh, Hardy at one point, like you ha- or Hickey rather. You had all these guys kind of step up and, uh, and have their moments in the first round. And, and then you thought with Prince, with the two goals in the second round game, it was uh, it's there's something about this team. Yeah. I don't know if they can they can take it to the finish line in that series, but there's definitely something a little bit magical happening with that team right now. And I've really enjoyed watching Tavares. I think he's often a forgotten star in the league, you know. And I've really enjoyed watching him. He's been awesome. Well, his his thing is he needs his Forsberg. He's super boring like Sackick was. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just like yeah. he's just a guy who puts his head down. He kind of looks like Sackick a he little does. bit too. He's yeah. like, Guy who puts his head down and, and just wants to play hockey and lead his team and, and get, get business done. And, uh, and that's not the most marketable thing, but, you know, what he was able to do in that, in that uh, clinching game against the Panthers was nothing sort of remarkable. All right, the sportscasters finishing up here with Greg Wyshynski. Of course, you can find the Puck Daddy uh, on Twitter. You can find him at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. Uh, make sure to check out the Merrick versus Wyshynski podcast. Uh, you can find that obviously on iTunes and wherever you find podcasts. And uh, the new podcast, Puck Soup, uh, that he does with uh, Dave Lazo, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he is uh, someone you've probably seen on Twitter and other places. But he writes for the Comeback and Vice Sports. Real funny dude, and uh, it's a different kind of podcast than NVSW in the sense that. We don't deal with a lot of the news of the day. Um, I mean, we cover the, the topics every week, um, but it's not the same sort of like let's have a beat writer on format as as uh, NVSW is. It's much more, you know, comedy and 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 having uh, different people come in that you may not realize are hockey fans. Like we had Anthony Weiner <laughs> on in our uh, our third episode. We had Katie Nolan on. We just had a comedian named Trey Gallion on. Like we're trying to bring in people who don't necessarily always have a chance to talk about hockey and give them a forum to do so. And I think so far it's been real fun and, and also just uh, profanely goofy would be the other thing I'd say. You can find it on iTunes, and, and I should also mention it's, it's, uh, it's the second sports podcast that Nerdist has ever done, as you uh, right. listen to Chris Hardwick. Yeah, Jonah Carey does the Yeah, Jonah Carey is, uh, was the first, and Jonah actually recruited us over there to do the show. So it's, it's really cool. Like, I mean, I, I think the sensibility of the show definitely sits with the sensibility of the website and uh we're like extraordinarily pleased and, and honored that it's done as well as it's had it's done it's like a top five podcast overall in sports which is pretty remarkable for a hockey podcast yeah and then obviously don't forget uh the pucks daddy blog uh on yahoo uh, sports.com so that's right we had a, we had 113 posts last week wow stuff <laughs> yeah i was like I'm a little, and, and and they're not the cheapies either. They're not like YouTube video pithy line 
published, <laughs> like legit stuff. So I saw the numbers this morning; they were sent my way. I'm like, wow, we we put it out there, don't we? So thanks to everybody who, who reads it and uh, interacts with us. Whether you like the stuff you read or not, it's always appreciated. And uh, I appreciate you being with us uh, really since day one. Thanks so much for making time during the playoffs. No problem, man. Thanks for having me again. All right, I want to thank Greg Wachinski, the Puck Daddy, for being on the podcast today. Uh, it is Steve, and it is uh, 3.45 on Thursday. I want to do a real quick book club update uh, here, and then I'm going to uh, get this baby up so you guys can check it out. Uh, Don and I got talking about chilling a little bit before we went to break to talk to Neil, or to talk to uh, Greg, and... I just wanted to talk more. So I got Neil Best uh, from Newsday, who covers the sports media beat on Long Island. And we're going to talk more about that with him in a second. So just real quick, the book club. Don't forget the book we're working right now is The Arm by Jeff Passan, Inside the Billion Dollar Mystery of the Most Valuable Commodity in Sports. Uh, I talked to Jeff last week, and he said things are calming down for him. Uh, so we're going to have him on uh, to talk about The Arm soon. Uh, it's a great book. I loved it. I loved every page of it. We waited a long time for it. I'm glad it's here, and I'm excited to talk to Jeff about it. So we're going to do that next week or the week after, soon, real soon. Uh, but make sure you check it out. Okay, I just wanted to get that in real quick. Uh, and then we're going to break, and we're going to come back with Neil Best from... Newsday. We haven't had him on in a long time. It's a fourth time on, but I don't think he's been on since like 2012-ish. So we're glad to have him back on. Uh, And it's a pretty long discussion. We talk about uh, the Rangers for a second because he covered them for Newsday. Uh, Then we talk about some issues at ESPN. We talk about Simmons. We talk about Schilling. We talk about Tarico. And we even talk a little bit of college hockey uh, since he's a Cornell guy. So it's a pretty good Pretty good discussion, and then we'll be back at the end of that uh, to talk about uh, uh, one last thing. We'll end the show there. Uh, So we'll take a break and come back. All right, our next guest is from New York City. And is a graduate of Cornell. Uh, he actually spent two years covering college hockey in Alaska before he was hired by Newsday in 1985. He's still there uh, doing all kinds of stuff like covering the sports media and the NHL playoffs and really anything. He's a man of uh, many hats. Uh, his popular sports watch column debuted in September of 2005. He's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Neil Best. What's going on, Neil? You know, speaking of that Cornell fight song, I was at game two of Rangers-Pittsburgh, I guess, and Doc Emmerich leans over to me from the the, the booth uh, right on top of me saying, uh, you know, talking about the Cornell fight song, and but then he didn't know what it was, and then eventually I sent him a video of it, and 
you know, Doc is just so into everything that's remotely related to hockey. It's yeah. incredible. Uh, during the lockout, whatever the most recent lockout was, I sent him my uh, history of Cornell hockey from the Cornell Sun in 1982, and he read the thing from cover to cover. So, <laughs> but that's Doc Emmerich. So, yeah, he, I, I, I absolutely love and, and treasure his ability to, you know, call out players where they went to college or where they played junior <laughs> hockey. I, I just like it. It brings a really nice element to the game. It's one of the likable things about him. And, you know, Cornell is one of the more storied uh, college hockey programs in the nation, obviously. So, Well, yeah, but I'd like it to be more present than past at this point. <laughs> I can start winning again. But yes, I can understand <clears> that. What are you going to do? It's an amazing place to see a hockey game at Lina, though, if you have oh, yeah. a chance. My daughter's a freshman. I took her since she hates sports, but I took her to. I made her go with me in November to a game, so she's got at least say she went to one game during her time there. Yeah, and I hear it's a great place to break your leg. My brother broke his leg there last year, so. Oh. Uh, so he, uh, I said, we were talking about something. I said, oh man, you must, you must hate Cornell or you know playing at Cornell. He's like. No, I love playing at Cornell. It's amazing. He's like, yeah, it sucked breaking my leg that one time. He's like, but the other three times were awesome. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, he said, so it's so, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's so cool that even if you break your leg there three weeks into your senior season, you still think it's awesome. Yeah, no, that is impressive. Yeah. But uh, we uh, digress, I suppose. Uh, it's been a crazy week, uh, of course, with the at sports watch stuff but before we get into that you did uh have been covering hockey uh, i went back and i was looking at your articles and it's like your last 30 articles were about the rangers and the nhl playoffs and i guess the first thing i want to ask is so what happened to the rangers i mean we've been used to the last few springs of them making a deep run and them doing it with awesome defense and good goaltending and you know lundquist got pulled two games uh, because he got, I guess, lit up for lack of a more uh, respectful term, and another game because he got a stick in the eye. Uh, and it just it seemed like the second that Stahl hit him in the eye with a stick, he just kind of got this feeling like, oh, man, this might not be the Rangers' year. No, I mean, you know, them losing to the Penguins, obviously, was not a big surprise. Yeah, no the magnitude of the loss was shocking. I mean, you know, the, even though I love hockey, one of the criticisms, one of the sort of fair criticisms of hockey by non-hockey fans is the randomness of the games and of the playoff series. And that's often true, is, you know, these playoff series are just all even and it's just who got lucky or who got a hot goalie, whatever. It's so rare to see a team <laughs> so clearly demonstrate how much better it was, you know, than, the, than what the Penguins did. So, uh, yeah, it was shocking, and yeah, it's time. They've basically acknowledged, it's not just a bunch of fans and reporters saying, oh, it's the end of an era, time to change things. Basically, that's what the the, the organization is saying, and the coach said it the day after, you know, when they had their uh, breakup day. So there's no question they're going to have uh, significant changes. Uh, they do have some limitations, roster-wise, salary caps, contracts, all that stuff, but they're determined to shake things up and uh, sort I mean, Lundqvist is going to be 35 when next year's playoffs start, assuming they're in the playoffs. So they got to get it done now. Were you in the room for uh, was it Dan Boyle's famous? Uh, oh yeah, I was. Tirade? Oh yeah, <laughs> I was a couple of feet away. Yeah, yeah. I was there for that. What'd you think? 
I mean, you know, I, I, even though I wasn't around these hockey teams all year, I, I knew the hockey writers and Boyle were not on good terms, uh, some of the hockey writers. And, I mean, look, I, a player is allowed to be frustrated at how he's covered. He's allowed to be mad at a particular reporter if he wants, but the way he handled it was just ridiculous and obviously didn't reflect well on him. It reflected better on Larry Brooks than it did on Boyle. And, um, you know, it was a, it's kind of a shame. The guy's had a great career, and he's on his way out, and, and now he'll, that's one of the things he'll be remembered for is that whole episode. And he just didn't handle it right. You're right. you're allowed to, you know, like I said, you're allowed to tell a reporter, hey, I think what you wrote's unfair, and I don't like you, whatever you want to say, but you can't do that. Do you think, because this was kind of an interesting thing that he brought up and was debated a little bit online, do you think it's his right to decide who he's talking to in that scenario. Well, that, that part is, the, that's the easiest part of this, and the answer is no, okay. um, which he didn't seem to understand. One of the, the, the PR, one of the Rangers PR guys, that's why I think he tried to end the whole thing, because he understood right. you can't do it that way. What happened was, once people start walking away, then Boyle's like, no, no, hey, wait a minute, because he wanted to talk about, you know, the end of his career, or whatever he wanted to say. Now everyone just starts walking away, myself included, and then he's like, no, no, I, I still want to talk. And then, you know, finally some of us did go back there, you know, sort of with Larry's blessing, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, so then he got to say the rest of his spiel. But no, the answer is no. You you certainly can decide not to talk to a person one-on-one. That's every, that's your right. But when there's a group of 20 reporters around, you can't say, well, I'll talk to him, but not him, and him, but not him, and her, but not him, and her. And No, you can't do that. And he didn't seem to get that part because he kept saying, no, I have a right to do that. And right, he did. Again, the, I think the PR guy was trying to do the right thing. He didn't want to publicly say to Boyle, well, no, you can't do that. He was thinking, okay, let's just end this thing. And he tried to end it, but then eventually it sort of, you know, continued uh, in, a, in a more professional manner. So, yes, yeah, so the whole thing was, uh, I mean, it was entertaining, but it was certainly unfortunate. Right, and he's even calling out a guy who's not there. You know, it's. I mean, I don't know how much time we have for this, but just on a on a related time, I was recently speaking to a, a, some Cornell alumni about my job, and one of the points I made was that someone asked about arguments between reporters and athletes in locker rooms. I said, you know, frankly, there's much less of it now than when I first started, and the reason is the athletes care less about us than they used to. There's not. It's kind of like the opposite of love being, you know, indifference, not hate. They don't. They, they don't. It doesn't matter to them as much as it used to what we write, and therefore they don't get mad at us as much as they used to. Boyle's an old school guy; he's thirty nine. I guess he still thinks it's, uh, you know, it, it's almost it's almost like it, nice that he still cares enough about what newspaper writers write to get mad at us because that used to happen all the time in locker rooms, and now it's very rare. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's a really good point. I don't know that I ever thought of it that way, but. Uh... Yeah, a bad moment for Boyle for sure, and um, he's going to want that back. You know, you can tell that that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll oh, absolutely. He'll spend a lot of time regretting that. And any kind of real, I mean, he realized it in midstream. I mean, he realized it, you know, pretty quickly when he said, "No, no, I, I want to talk to these other guys." So anyway, yeah, it was it was interesting. And the beauty of podcasts is we have as much time as you want. Digress. Oh, okay, well, digress so, at your leisure. You can uh, you can digress at any point. Yeah, so a disappointing end for the Rangers for sure. Um, you know, Eric Stahl, I don't think, really gave them what they hoped when they acquired him. Change of scenery uh, didn't do much for him there. Obviously not the Eric Stahl of 2006 and probably not even the Eric Stahl of, I don't know, 2013. Uh, 
definitely hurt. Uh, but where do they go from here? I think you still try to ride Lundqvist a bit longer. Um, oh yeah, he, yeah. You have to. Well, yeah, they're gonna. Still a they're stud. Not gonna give up on him. Yeah, still a stud. What would you do? What would you add? What What can they do to? You only got you got an old star in net that you want. You hope can lift the cup one day. So time is against you. It's almost like uh, I'm a huge Saints fan, and, I, I, and with Drew Brees, you know, a 37 year old quarterback, and having the 12th pick tonight, I keep thinking the number one thing they have to do is pick someone who can help this year because they can still win with Brees, but. You know, not for much longer. Similar situation with the Rangers. Uh, what do you watching the games, being in the buildings, being in the room? What do you think they need most? Well, they definitely need some, some, you know, some youth and some speed. I, you know, they they have a guy like Brady Shea who can help them be, you know, become younger, who has already proven he belongs. And some of the guys just, you know, reaching their primes. You know, a guy like a guy like JT Miller, even Criders. You know, he should be in his prime. You know, he's obviously got a lot of ability. So, yeah, they have to shed some of the older guys, maybe buy out Dan Girardi. Obviously, Boyle's leaving. Um, and then the question is, do you try to make some kind of splash? But it's not like they have a lot of room to maneuver. I, I mean, the, the one name our, our Rangers beat writer, Steve Zipay, throughout is Steven Stamkos, who obviously would help them, but yeah. I don't know. You know, you'd have to figure out a way to make it work financially or trade, you know, trade-wide. I don't even know the... I mean, I guess you got to trade for them, but it's it's um, they're limited. Well, you know, it's it's uh, the the only good news is in terms of me stammering through this answer is that I'm not the beat writer, so that's I'm not right. in charge of knowing all the particulars. You are not like that's that's a pays job. Um, all I know is they got to get younger and faster, and that's going to be hard for them to maneuver. And if you you know, next week I'm going to be doing the Islanders home games. Uh, you know, if, if you had to take one team situation over the other, now I know the Islanders have some key free agents too, like Nielsen and Oposo, but, I mean, come on. They, they got the best, maybe the best player in any team in any sport in New York right now, yeah. and they've got a younger team, and they've got, you know, a little more room to maneuver with salary cap. So if they get their goalie situation, well, maybe Grace can be the guy the way he's playing lately. So, yeah, you'd rather be in the Islanders situation than the Rangers. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I was just talking to Greg Wyshynski before I talked to you, and we were talking about John Tavares and kind of how we both kind of feel glad for him. Just, you know, he's a real quiet, level head. He's never going to have a Dan Boyle incident, right? Like, he couldn't be no. any any any, no. di- any different than that. And and he's such a, such a talented, just, like, awesome player. And, and I think... One thing I've been happy about this playoffs is just to see him get a signature moment in New York. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's then he's 25 on top of everything else. Uh you, you know, so you know, you can talk about some of these guys who are you know, in their 30s who are still good players like Longfist and Eli Manning and Carmelo Anthony and you know, there are guys in New York who are uh you know, David Wright or whatever. You know, there's a lot of good players in New York, but in terms of a guy in the middle of his prime, Who's just so good? <laughs> Tavares is at the top of the list. I mean, someone I mean, you could say Odell Beckham, but he, you know, he's he's exciting, but he doesn't have a the body of work that Tavares does. So, right. yeah, Tavares is the best player in New York right now in any any sport. Right. Yeah, that's awesome, and I hope I hope New York notices because uh, that's a team certainly that gets lost in the shuffle out there easily. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. we, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the New York Daily News, New York Times, were you know did not have people at that game last night. I don't think. I know the time. I'm pretty sure. 
I know the Times didn't. I don't think the Daily News did. Of course, we had three, but <laughs> that's you know that right. yeah, we sort of own that Islanders beat for a long time now. Yep. Uh, well, enjoy. You're going to enjoy the Islanders. I don't know if they can win it, maybe, uh, but um, you'll enjoy them nonetheless. They've been a fun part of the playoffs early on. Uh, I do. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to transition to that other stuff, and I want to f- yeah. start first with asking you: Were you at the Mike and the Mad Dog reunion? Yes, I was. See, I get around. Um, Tell yeah, me about it. Yes, I was. Tell me about it. I was it. on I the watched. red carpet before, and then I was in the audience. And Yeah, I was there. Here's what I need to know. Do you think, did you get the impression that when it was over, Dog and Mike sat back and thought, man, we got to make this happen again or more or in some capacity going forward? I mean, you know, I think they're at the point where they realize that they should – do things like that again like first of all they seem to be I, I, I was allowed to sit in on their last planning meeting for this thing a couple of weeks before it happened and there's no evidence whatsoever of any tension between the two of them and all the planning of this they seem to be getting along fine they not, they obviously understand they have chemistry but I like Mike has said many times the, the, the money part of them doing a regular show would be difficult because nobody wants to pay them the combined amount they would ask for but as far as like doing occasional things or, or you know some you know not even necessarily of that magnitude but just something that's not five days a week yeah i think that could happen but i don't think they're going to have uh you know like five and a half hours a day five days a week kind of thing again right well mike has said he doesn't want to do that anymore right that yeah no he well, that's, another, well, that's another thing right? right he mike's not retiring retiring but i but. think he wants to cut back a little whereas chris uh, yeah, he's a little bit younger, and he and he hasn't made quite as much money as Mike. So, um, yeah, he wants to work full time for a while longer. Do you think he wants to stay at Sirius another contract? Or? Well, that's well, we're going to find out by the end of the year. I mean, that's a tough. I don't know. He took a big pay cut for this last contract, and I have no idea what they're offering him for the next one. But uh, according to Chris, Chris, told me he's not. Chris and Mike have both said he's Chris isn't going to take Mike's spot, even though that would be a quick fix for FAN. So yeah, I, I don't know where else he can go. So uh, I guess I, if I had a bet, I guess I'd say he's going to stay in serious, but we'll know by the end of the year. Geez, for some reason, I never even thought of the idea of Chris taking that spot. I well, it would, it would, it would. I mean, it would be a easy. <laughs> it would be a popular, easy move for FAN. Uh, I mean, Chris did burn some bridges there when he left, but you know, business is business. So right. They'd have to listen to that and. I don't know, but he claims he's not going to do that, so I, I don't know. I do finally believe, Mike, that – I actually believe, Mike, that he is going to leave. So um, we'll see it, what they do with that spot. I think Evan Roberts is a possibility, whether moving with Joe or Joe retires and they put someone else with Evan, you know, they like Kim Jones a lot. Um, but but I don't know. They I don't think they know. I think they're they're figuring, well, let's figure this out. You know, early 2017, we don't have to do this right now. Man, it's too bad. It seems just like perfect to me. You bring Mike, uh, you bring Dog in. He does it five days a week, and you get Mike to do it too. And there you go. You got the Mike and the for Mad Mike Dog. To do, for Mike to, well, no, Mike's not. No, it's not. That's not going to happen. That's yeah, too bad. That, that, that show was the, the reunion show. I, I mean, it was it was too it was a huge success for what it was, which was a fundraiser. Yeah, um, and it was kind of cool, but it was you know it was too long. It, two hours would have been better than three, uh, because some of their you know interviews dragged on. And um, but but you know the, the audience was really into it, and it was 
you know, it was a cool event. There's no question. I just thought it would have been even better at two hours. As a, right. as a show, it would have been better at two instead of three. Well, we needed more of Mike and Dog and less of Mike no, and Dog and some guy. Yeah, I know. And like Messier stunk up the joint, <laughs> you know. But, but and, the crowd was, you know, people showed up and they, you know, again, it was a fundraiser, so it worked on that level, certainly. It raised over a million bucks and, uh, you know, the crowd was um, not the most diverse in terms of race or gender, but one thing that I did notice was it was very diverse in terms of of age. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it was all white males, almost all white males, but the ages were very, you know, it went from, you know, 18 to 80. It was very, very spread out generationally. Interesting. You know, I wonder, uh, Mike walks away, does FAN hold on to that spot? no matter who they hire? Or do you think that Michael Kay has a huge chance of, like, grabbing that time slot with Mike gone? Well, I mean, there's no question it's an opportunity for them. And, you know, in fairness, uh, Michael has... He's the highest-rated show on that ESPN New York channel. So um, even though he loses to Francesa, he loses by less than any other show does to FN. So, yes, it's an opportunity, but it's, you know, the habits are very hard to break. I I was just talking to someone about this regarding, you know, Skip Bayless leaving ESPN for for, well, probably for Fox. You know, it's very hard... I'm telling you, this is a fact. If it, two years from now, if you walk down the street and ask the first, you know, hundred people that are sports fans what channel Skip Bayless works on, they're going to say ESPN. They're not even going to realize he's not, most of them are going to say ESPN because it's such an ingrained. Some of these habits are so ingrained that it's just hard to break. FN's one of them. For thirty years, people in New York have turned on their radio and they get in the car, and it's on FN and. You know, it's just hard to crack that. So, yes, it's an opportunity for them, but it's not going to be like automatically, oh, Michael Kay is going to take over that time slot. Uh, I don't want to be in a position where I'm defending Kurt Schilling because... That's another thing I was at when he was... Okay, go ahead. Yeah. um, yeah, Because I I was at the taping of the show he did for Sirius that that he... uh, you know, he had his latest um, interesting comments, and then afterward he spoke to me and a couple other reporters to kind of clarify those comments. But, yeah, so I had my my Kurt Schilling moment also. Interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I just want to say this. Like, obviously, you know, the First Amendment doesn't grant you protection from your employees being pissed about what you say and, fir- right. and firing you, right. obviously. Uh, and, obviously, Kurt Schilling says things that, how do I even want to put this? I don't know. They're stupid. He says stupid things, I right. feel like. You know? I don't know that what he said in this particular recent incident or even some of the incidents in the past are necessarily hateful, though. And I also don't know if ESPN in general is consistent about what can and cannot be said beyond sports by their talent when they're not representing ESPN. Uh, and I wonder if we're going to become a culture where we fire people for saying things we don't like if we are not, in turn, limiting the First Amendment because we're saying don't speak or you will be fired even if what you say isn't necessarily hurtful or isn't necessarily consistent 
with what has been fireable at your company in the last 20 years? Right. Well, the, the, the first part of what you're, what you're saying is obviously a matter of opinion, whether what he's saying is hateful or goes too far, you know, any of that stuff. That's, that's hard to answer. The second part of what you said, I think, is clearly an issue that, yes, it's, it's, just, it's just a fact that ESPN is inconsistent in how they apply these, these rules or standards. And, you know, according to Schilling, it's based on liberal versus conservative. Uh, maybe that's an element of it, but regard, again, regardless of the politics, yes, that it's, it seems to be inconsistent. Like Schilling himself said, Dan Lebitard got on and had an impassioned discussion of the whole, you know, Cuba, uh, yeah. establishing relations with Cuba. Yep. And, um, you know, Stephen A. often has uh, commentary that has a racial component. And, you know, whatever. He, you can go down a list and... Uh, yes, uh, for some reason, some of it seems to be okay, and some of it seems to not be okay. Now, Chilling is a repeat offender. He was warned, you know, he had yep. discussions, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying that them getting rid of Kurt Schilling is necessarily wrong in and of itself, yeah, but some neither. of his points about inconsistency and maybe about treating Republican views more harshly than Democrats, you know, maybe that, you know, there, there's, some, there's some valid discussion points in there there's no question and what now you had obviously you said you had a first hand experience being in the room with Schilling when he's talking on Sirius and clarifying after what did you take away from it in general well I mean, he's he is I mean he is who he is he was, he was yeah. very when he's speaking he doesn't sound like he's like ranting and raving he sounds very sort of um, you know reasoned based on his uh, other than maybe when he said you know the even the hosts of the show, who certainly lean right, you know, were laughed when he, when he, when he just blurted out that Hillary should be in a maximum security prison. Right. He says it so matter of factly. It's kind of funny, even though you know, even if she's guilty of uh, the worst, whatever, whatever your worst interpretation of her transgressions are, obviously she would not be in a maximum security prison. No. So uh, that was just funny uh, because it was so blunt. But for the most part, he's making a, you know, he. But the problem is he's all over the place. Like when he was doing the show, he says, well, there are people on ESPN who are racist. Well, then afterward, I said, well, do you mean, I said, don't... I was trying to, you know, give him a chance to clarify, you know, really what he means is people, you know, making racially oriented comments, not, you know, that they are racist. Or that's not, that was my interpretation of what he meant. Uh, but, you know, when you say people are racist, you know, that's a little different than, you know, it, but, so the problem with him is that he... He's obviously a great quote, and he obviously has strong opinions, but sometimes it's hard to pin down, you know, exactly where he's coming from. Um, I don't know. It, it was, a, you know, it was an interesting experience. I just, I don't know. It was certainly quotable, and, you know, the, the, the reality, and like I say, it's a problem. It's just a reality in a political election, in a presidential election year. When I post that link to that story on Twitter, of course, you know, Twitter explodes with commentary. Half of it say he's the worst person in the world. Half of it say uh, you make great points. Of course, he's a voice of reason. And you just watch this debate go on, and it's almost like back and forth, 50-50, like everything else in this country, you know, right. with politics. Yeah, so, and that's very frustrating. Do you think this guy's employable? Will he work again? Uh, you know, that's a very uh, interesting question. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd like to think that he is only based on uh, the fact that other people who've had strong political opinions have found their way back into the sports world, because the guy is a pretty good analyst, I think. 
He looked great, by the way. He looks much healthier than when he first came back from his cancer battle. He looked, I said, you look, he, look, he looks and sounds like Kirk Schilling, Kirk Schilling again, which he did not, when he, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, so I, I'd like to think that he is, but, you know, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. The, the I, Richard Deitch, one of, you know, the more, um, yeah, good friend of ours. Very good friend. And he of ours. does a great job with the sports media stuff. He and I disagree on this issue of whether prominent sports media personalities should be allowed to express their political opinions on social media. He thinks it's fine, no matter what your politics are. I, I, I don't. I think it's a problem. And I, you know, I'll take a perfect example just to show that I'm sort of, uh, um, not, you know unbiased about this you know I, I i lean i certainly lean left politically uh not way left but left and keith olbermann who i went to college with didn't know him at college but he was there when i was um i fought in 2008 at the height of his uh you know prominence as a liberal spokesman on msnbc during a presidential election year nbc puts him on sunday night football as a as a you know as a host and i'm like you know I think he's very good at it, and politically, I basically agree with him. But you know, you're putting people—that's a tough spot to put viewers in, where half the country loathes this guy, and now you're asking them to forget about that and just look at him solely as a host of a football show. I mean, I think that's a problem. Yeah, I, I really do. I, it's not—it's just you could say to a, a people who hate his politics oh no well this is a sports show forget about it that's got nothing to do with this well i mean that's come on that, that's asking too much of people well you know i lean right not very right just lean a little bit right i'm kind of a classic new york republican i kind right. of I kind old of, school new york right. republican right i kind of feel like a person that's probably squeezed out by the republican party to some degree because i'm right. not i'm not religious you know what i mean I don't, i'm not a, right I'm not a conservative religious Republican by any means. I'm pretty socially moderate, if maybe not even somewhat socially liberal. I will say, though, that this year more than any, you know, this has worn me out. All of this stuff, the politics, the either either the guy's a villain or he's a hero or, or, or woman. The, the politician is probably a better right. word. You know, uh, it's frustrating. And I would love for sports to be able to be an escape from that. You know, I don't want political sports uh, hosts. So I think I, I fall with you. I would much rather be able to watch Sunday Night Football free from political leanings, whether it's leaning my way or not. I just, I need a break from this. You know, I I can't wait for this political season to end because it's been the worst of my lifetime. And as someone sitting back looking, I don't even see a winner. Like, there isn't anyone I'm going to be passionately toting the bell for this year on any side of the ticket so no, i know that's why in, yeah and and for obvious reasons during presidential election years yeah people's passions are more inflamed than at other times and again yeah olbermann on in 2008 now if you put Schilling on sunday night baseball right now and he does a the best job of baseball analysis of all time well Okay, but half the country is looking at him saying, this guy is a lunatic, I hate him. Right. You know, that, yeah. that's, again, that's asking a lot of people. Yeah, everybody, I mean, he has a right to vote. Every, everybody, they have a right to vote. They have a right to, I don't know, have opinions with their family and friends. But, yeah, if you're a public figure in, in a different uh, realm, it, it's, it's, to me, again, it's just asking a lot of viewers to forget about that. 
You know, and there was a huge issue here in Buffalo when Rex Ryan decided to uh, introduce uh, Donald Trump in Buffalo. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and look, at he probably should be allowed to do that. He didn't represent the Bills. Necessarily. He didn't wear, like, a Bills shirt or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the reality is when you're the Bills coach, uh, no matter what you do, you're still sort of representing the Bills. And, of course, he alienated a lot of Bills fans who hate Donald Trump. Right, you know, so yeah. I, you know, I, I and the t- same thing would have happened if he was introducing Bernie Sanders, right? Absolutely, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, you know you know these ESPN actually has one of the stricter policies about this. Like NBC, you know, Michelle Tavoy Tafoy is a very active political commentator on Twitter. Um, she happens to lean right, but it's again, it's just. Uh, I don't know. I, I the whole thing I think is problematic. But but back to your original point. Yeah, Schilling is right that his hand is inconsistent. That that's that's just a fact. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's been an interesting year uh, for sure with all this stuff, and it's only going to get I think crazier as we get closer to November. So. Yeah. Yeah. The sportscasters are here with Neil Best, who's been very kind uh, to talk about all kinds of crazy things with us, whether it's. Uh, Cornell Hockey or Rangers Hockey or uh, the media. He's at SportsWatch on Twitter. You can find his work for New York Newsday uh, on newsstands, uh, if you still do that kind of thing, which you should, uh, in New York City and on Long Island, of course. And uh, you can find his work on Newsday.com. Some of it uh, is behind a uh, paywall. Some isn't. Uh, It's sort of hit or miss. Uh, Let's go over a couple things real quick. Rapid fire. I'll let you get on with your day. Uh, I'm sure you have other plans and talking to me all day. Uh, but it was a pretty crazy week. Skip Bayless lost e- left ESPN, uh, so it seems. Are you surprised they're going to let him stay on the platform until uh, June? Uh, I guess that is a little weird, but, um, you know, it's it seems to be a fairly amicable parting. So, I, I mean, I guess it's fine, you know. And, uh, to, I mean, he is under contract. Might as well let him get, you know, get some more work out of him. I I just, you know, I, I I don't begrudge any of these guys the money they make. That's totally fine. Get you know, get it while you can. But yeah. the, the TV with the TV executives who continue to hire people thinking that they're going to make that much of a difference. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just people, you know, viewers just are so much less attuned to this stuff than than sports media uh, executives and writers and personalities think i just i'm sorry i just as my own little experiment a couple of years ago I was, I was at a homecoming talking so here i am talking to my fraternity brothers who are you know highly educated sports fan middle-aged men and i i just said to like 15 of them this is about two years ago so where does aaron andrews work you know a chunk of them didn't know who i was talking about <laughs> a couple of them remembered her for the you know the unfortunate people incident but those who those who you know know who Aaron Andrews is, every single one of them said ESPN. I'm like, no, no, she she went to Fox. People, you know, people don't, you know, unless you're really hardcore fan or you're in the business, people just don't focus on this stuff. I'm telling you, two years from now, if I walk down the street, those and I just ask random people where does Skip Bayless work, those who have heard of him, more of them are going to say ESPN than Fox. So, and yet they throw this money around, you know, again, I don't, it's not Skip's fault. I don't begrudge him, get, you know, get as much as you can. Right. 
But the executives, I just, I don't know what the heck they're doing. Well, it seems, especially in this cord cutting era, I don't know. It seems like Jamie Horowitz is trying to create a culture at Fox uh, Sports Zero Point One, as Bill Simmons sort of comically called it, uh, as a, a dig at their ratings. I think he's just trying to shift it from being a place where maybe you would go to get sports news to a place where you would go to get heated sports debate in the afternoon I, and during the day. I know, but the yeah, that's fine, but the problem is that there, there are there are not enough hours in a day or sports fans in the world who who can consume all of this stuff and to justify the kind of money they're spending. It's it's just I'm sorry, it's just absurd. You can't it's fine if the ASPN and Fox want to put on interesting sports programming at 3 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, but there's just not enough people in the world to, to justify that. And they're all just, you know, moving chess pieces around and spending money, and it's it's all pretty silly, and, and people are paying for it through their cable bill. All right, last thing, let's end on this. Mike Tirico, who I will say has been unbelievably kind to me. Uh, he comes on this podcast once a year. Uh, he spends 35, 40 minutes. We talk. He's honest. He's he's very kind. And I'm a big fan of him personally, and I'm a big fan of his work. And he is going to leave ESPN and Monday Night Football uh, for NBC. It's funny. The first thing I thought was, you know, for the last seven years, every time a coaching job came up, we wondered if that meant John Gruden was leaving Monday Night Football. Right. And in the end, it's, uh, it's Mike Tirico who breaks up the team. Uh, what do you think about Tirico's move? Uh, to NBC and the idea that he might become, uh, you know, the next uh, Bob Costas there. Maybe uh, the idea behind the move is uh, he'll take over as a host of the Olympics, um, that he'll take over for Al Michaels calling games in the NFL, uh, that he'll get a chance to call a Super Bowl. Uh, what do you think about the move for Trico and what did you think uh, when you heard it? Well, again, well, I agree that I like him personally and professionally, and even though I just made, made my big spiel about, you know, 3 o'clock Tuesday afternoons, I, I do think it matters to people, you know, who's calling Monday Night Football. It doesn't affect the ratings, but it certainly is something that's important to people. So that that's a bigger move to me in, in most ways than the skip thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it makes – and the guy's 40 you – know, Al is the best in the business still, but he's 71, and Costas is – I think he's 97, even though he looks 40. And, uh, you know, so, yeah. It makes sense for NBC and for Tirico because there's an opportunity there, and it's you know why wouldn't he be the successor to Al and you know whenever that's going to be you know two three four years, um, so I think it's good for NBC. It, I mean it hurts ESPN, but really, you know they'll find somebody else good to plug in there. So I I think it's more good for NBC and for Mike than it is bad for ESPN. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I don't know if Al would have been too psyched about doing the Thursday night games anyway because right. he doesn't need that kind of aggravation so in the short term it works and in the long term it works do you have it at, who would you think will be the uh, next Monday night football guy who's going to take that spot uh, all, you know, all I know is the sort of the rumors about Sean McDonough, Sean McDonough but we, who, which would be too. fine with me I, yeah. but unless they want to have some you know the only thing about Sean is he's been around for a long time and he he is what he is, which is a solid pro. You know, I, the only thing is if they want to try something, you know, sort of quirkier and attention getting. Because if you if you hire Sean McDonough, everybody kind of shrugs and says, "Oh, you know, that's cool. It makes sense. Whatever." You know, every, there's not like a controversial move there because he's so respected. But they might want to try something splashier, I guess. I don't, I don't know who that would be. Yeah, the only thing I would say about that is when. 
ESPN and Monday Night Football have tried quirkier, splashy things. It has been a disaster. I know. Well, <laughs> well that's, def- that's definitely true. Um, you know, more about analysts, obviously, right. than yep. play-by-play. But, yeah, yeah. I, right, there's nothing wrong with hiring a guy who just knows what he's doing and is not going to, you know, embarrass you and just stick him in there. Exactly. <sighs> all right. Neil, you've said it all. Uh, you can find Neil again. He's on Twitter at SportsWatch. You can find him very easily there. Uh, New York Newsday uh, pays the bills, and you can get him in the paper. Uh, you can hold it or you can view it, whatever you prefer. Uh, it's available for you in those formats, obviously. Anything else you wanted to plug, or did you have any questions for me or anything before we let uh, you go? Well, Buffalo finished number one again in average ratings for hockey. Always. Um, always. Yep. And uh, maybe I want the Sabres to be good someday. They will be. Uh, a friend, one of my best friends from college is from Buffalo and is just so mad that Patrick Kane, maybe the best player in the league, doesn't play for his hometown team. <laughs> 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 I hear that. Uh, so yeah, I, I would really the two te- the two franchises that I want to someday before I die be good again is Buffalo and Toronto. Buffalo more so because Toronto's got all those resources, but still, I want the Maple Leafs to be good again someday too. Well, I do not think you'll have to wait much longer for the Sabres to be good. It was okay. Very, well, that's what, well, yeah, a very that's positive. What all, that's what they all say. Well, yeah. <laughs> Not all of them have Jack Eichel and Sam Reiner. I know. All right. Well, I'd love to see them be good. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm I'm all on board with that as well. And hopefully Cornell hockey will be good because I think it's good for hockey, college hockey, when Cornell's good. And who could have ever predicted that the ECAC would have its golden age when two national championships have four teams in the finals and, you know, obviously only three teams but one team twice. So four finalists in three years, and Cornell is just not a part of that. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not good. I, I'm a little bummed out about their mediocre. It's not like they're not competitive. They're just like mediocre. So yeah, I I don't know what's what's going to be there. Yeah, and um, it's weird that they they have so many guys leave early, which is so weird for Ivy League teams. I mean, I think what's made Harvard and Yale successful the last ten years is that. Their guys play four years. I mean, even Jimmy Vesey uh, played four years at Harvard. And it just seems like for whatever reason, Cornell gets a star and he leaves. And I don't, I don't know why that is. Well, since, well that's, that's one factor. But well, since you said we have endless time, there's another thing going on with Ivy League sports. I was talking to Steve Tasker about this actually a couple of years ago when his son was playing for Cornell. Yeah, football. And, yeah. Um, you know, as much as in the last 10 to 20 years, the Ivy League brand has become more important than ever in terms of sort of separating its those schools from other good private schools or other good schools in general, uh, within the Ivy League itself, it seems to matter more to people than it did when I was there, uh, the, the Harvard, Yale, and Princeton brands versus everybody else. And that's trickling down to athletics, where you go to some kid who is very smart and a very good athlete, and every Ivy League coach wants a piece of him, and you go to his, his parents and say, well, okay, you, well, you can go to Cornell or you can go to Yale, and the parents are like, wow, those are two great schools, but, well, no, he's going to Yale. Like, it, that, the power of those brands is so strong that they're sucking up uh, most of the top, uh, disproportionate number of the top athletes. Just look at the standings in all these sports, and Harvard and Yale are doing well in sports that they did not do well in when I was in school. 
and it's it's hard to compete against them just because of the lore of those names. Well, I'll say this about hockey because you know my brother was probably what you would call a four star recruit, uh, you know, to grade on like a a, co- a college football scale, right? Um, and you know his final two schools are really BC and Yale, and RPI was one and Michigan State and all these schools. He never even heard from Cornell because sometimes I feel like in hockey, Cornell gets a little obsessed with Canadians. Well, that's that's uh, that's been going on since yeah, since I was there and then before. It's yeah, it's always been a Canadian school, which I don't know why that's still true. It's kind of weird. Yeah, like it made sense, in, you know, in the fifties and sixties when Ned Harkness is bringing these guys in, and then and even down to my era. But now, yeah, why, I don't know why Cornell's still such a Canadian-oriented school. I mean, the coach is Canadian, but so what? My guess is it's got to be a Canadian aid thing that they can just get, that they have more available money to, to use on guys when they're Canadian. That would be my I guess. guess. But I don't know. I, don't know but I know it's, a, it's sort of a tradition. You know, it's just always been that way, but uh, yeah. that doesn't explain why it has to stay that way. Yeah, I, don't I have nothing it. against Canadians. No, not at all. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we had a yeah. It's uh, well, I don't. But you know, it's one thing for I don't expect Cornell to compete consistently in basketball, despite obviously that great team we had a few years ago. But uh, you know, hockey is a no-brainer where we should right. be a top school. But even football, I don't understand why Cornell can't be a top team. It's it's there's no reason. And uh, you know, we've with that said, Cornell was in the Frozen Four in two thousand and what eleven ten. My brother's, no, my brother's no, no. freshman year. 2003 was our last Frozen. We've been in the tournament and in, in like Did regional it? finals, but 2003 was the last Frozen Four. Oh, was, I thought Andy Isles' first year. I mean, they, they were in, it, it might must, have been a regional. It must but, have been a regional final. I, I, I yeah, throw it I'm pretty sure I that. The, I, since I started there in 1978, there's been two Frozen Fours, 80 and 2003, and we lost. And that was in Buffalo. Right, that was the in Buffalo. Buffalo one. Yeah. yeah, I went there. We lost to like New Hampshire, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, whatever. Yeah, I, I just must. Have, Luckily, uh, my daughter doesn't care, so she's not bummed out about her being there when Cornell hockey's down. So I guess that's good. I got it. It must have been two thousand and twelve. Two thousand. They've definitely. Um, it must be the year I was thinking of. Okay, they were a four seed at large uh, bid. In the Midwest region, and they did what? What did they do? They lost. They beat Michigan three to two in the first game, in overtime, and then in the regional final, they they had to lose. They've lost a lot of regional finals. Yeah, they lost to Ferris State. Right. So. Yeah, they've lost a lot of regional finals over the years. That's but, what. It but I don't even. I don't even mind that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when you do that, you're really good. You had a great year. Yep. Absolutely. But but this this mediocrity is just this is not cool. <laughs> I don't know. Well, best of luck to Cornell hockey. Like All I right. said, I think hockey is better when Cornell hockey is important. So I hope they turn yeah. it around. I think they got to find some more American studs and guys that are going to stay four years. Yeah. Uh, but um, I guess that's a that's a Neil Best problem because. Uh, you know, Yale hockey, where I have uh, definitely uh, been forced to align myself due to uh, <laughs> my younger brother. You know, I'm looking right across the way from me is a mini uh, national championship banner. And that will uh, hang oh. in this room forever. 
Tuesday. No, that's right. Well, yeah, you, you got as well enjoy it. <laughs> Cornell's last national championship was 1971. So it's a beautiful <laughs> banner, though. I saw it. It's 1970, actually. Yeah, it's done. Um, Thank you. Dan. Yeah, no, it's yeah. Well, I, again, I have I don't have anything against Yale hockey as long as they're not playing Cornell. So yeah, and I feel the same way about Cornell. <laughs> it's hard. All right. Well, hate. thanks for having Harvard me. Yes, thank you so much. Okay. All right, I want to thank our guests, Greg Wyshynski, especially for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can hear this week's podcast and the last podcast with Damon Hack and Ben Ryder on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters and at Don Lake Sports. Uh, we are planning to do maybe a live blog uh, this weekend or this week of the NFL draft. If we do, you'll find that at the sportscasters.blogspot.com. Um, and you can email us anytime, the sportscasters at gmail.com. All right, one last thing for me this week Nintendo announced kind of without a lot of fanfare, that the next system is going to come out. It's going to be called the Nintendo NX, and it's coming out March 2017. Now, I felt excited about this because I didn't buy a Wii U, and it kind of justified my decision not to buy a Wii U. Yeah, I don't know. But people that did buy a Wii U are kind of justifiably pissed. Uh, When the Wii U first came out, they had, like, like, I don't know if you want to call them screenshots, or they might have even had, like, demo footage of what was going to be the next Legend of Zelda original game. And that game never came never out. Came out. Wow! It's going to come out um, for both systems, the Wii U and the NX, but it's probably going to be like an NX launch title. So if I bought a, a Wii U because before the Wii U came out, you had demo footage of this game, I'd be pretty pissed about that. Um, I'm a Nintendo fanboy. I don't own every system, but I've owned like every other system they've had, and I'm probably going to own the NX. But that's a bummer that that worked out that way. Tell me a little bit about the NX. I don't know that there is much to know yet. Is it a Wii-type system? I don't know. Um, I I really think, which is surprising, because I don't think they're going to have it. Or they're going to have it at E3, whenever that is. Okay. But I think they're only going to have the Zelda game on display. Mm. So what people are hoping is, look, if you're going to be the first one to market again with a next-gen system, you better be... A next gen system like you've got to be able to blow away the other ones as far as like just computing power and graphics and all that go and like there should also be some other bell or whistle that's kind of cool like people didn't love that giant controller with the screen on it for the wii u and it made the wii u expensive like the wii u's only seen one price drop despite bad sales in the entire time it's been out people are saying like this better come out and be a great system and maybe even be like vr ready like that's going to be the next step, it seems like, with like the Oculus and all those other things coming out. I don't think there's any specifics out yet, but I'm ex- I'm excited. I-, I feel for the people that bought the Wii U, but I am excited. And hopefully there's some backwards compatibility so you can play your Wii U games on the NX. And hopefully there's also, I can't remember what they called it, but like WiiWare or something like that, the virtual console thing. Hopefully there's some compat- compatibility where you can transfer that because people were pissed about that because I don't think that worked from the Wii to the Wii U. So, like, if you bought Mario 3 on the virtual console, you'd have to buy it again. Now you're going to have to buy it a, a fourth time or whatever. Like, uh, hopefully hopefully they do right by their fans. Because I have a little bit of information. Wii U was rough. Okay, go ahead. Uh, this is from The Verge. Okay. I don't know what their credibility is, but 
Uh, this is what they have. Um, so it says Nintendo announced big news. Uh, mobile games in the fall. And in March of 2017 will be the NX. The mobile games, I think, are probably talking about that that Pokemon. They call it like it's almost like virtual reality, but like it's you find them in the real world somehow. I'm not sure how that works, but uh, as for hardware, the only thing Nintendo has really said uh, is that it will be very different from the company's last two consoles, which so is good. I would guess that means it's not going to be a, a motion Wii, based. Right? right. Uh, they say, I can assure you, it's a quote. I can assure you. We're not building the next version of Wii or Wii U. It's something unique and different. It's something where we have to move away from those platforms in order to make it something that will appeal to our customer base. He also called it a next step in our dedicated device strategy, the core and primary focus of our business. Um, the device will, you want to know what it looks like? It will likely include a console and at least one mobile unit that can either be used in conjunction with the console hmm. or taken on the road for separate use. So they're still going to do some sort of uh, screen. This suggests that it will be some kind of hybrid console slash portable device that brings together those two sides of Nintendo's business. Um, in fact, the guy who passed away last year revealed in 2013 that the company's R&D groups for handheld and console gaming have been merged into one division. Don's computer just died. It's about to, yeah. yeah. Uh, I better cue up the out song, or what are we going to do about that? We could always add it afterwards. Okay, right? we can do that. Um, what else do we got about this? Um, the Wii, I mean, I'll just say... The Wall you're... Street Journal yeah. claims it will feature industry-leading chips Good. that would put it in line with current consoles, like uh-huh. Xbox One. It should be ahead of those, PlayStation 4, yeah. It should. Um, and that's really about it. Although those are relatively new consoles still, the one in PlayStation 4. So just surpass them a little bit, and I think the Nintendo fan group would be happy. I think the problem with Nintendo has always been, it's always been seen as kind of like a little kid system. But like the little kids that grew up loving Mario and Zelda are now like adults that maybe want to play Mario and Zelda still, but also want to play what whatever, the grown-up games. Right. So... I'm excited. I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't want to see another console fail. I'm always pulling for Nintendo, so hopefully they can do it right this time. All right, one last thing for me this week, and hopefully I can get it in before the laptop dies. <laughs> uh, Saturday is the NHL Draft Lottery. Yeah. And as a disappointment to fans everywhere, the Oilers actually have a better chance to win the lottery this year than they did last year That's when they won it. <laughs> now, we'll talk more about the lottery and who wins and who doesn't. Uh, later, but I was thinking about something the night that the Oilers played their last game in Rexel Place, and they had a ceremony on the ice, and Gretzky was there, and Messier was there, and all the greats, Curry, they had just about everyone there. And you know what I kind of realized? That's kind of where Connor McDavid was supposed to be, isn't it? You know, the last thing they did was Gretzky and McDavid stood together. Uh, and walked off the ice and down the hallway uh, together. Um, and it just made me realize that as much as we Sabres fans wanted to win the lottery, mm-hmm. um, and as much as I've very passionately argued that we never really expected to, though. No. I think I did realize that as much as we hate Edmonton for winning it, I think that it's kind of where he really needed to be. Now, you can argue Toronto would have been better, and it might have been. Uh, but I don't think ultimately that it was that big of a deal that Edmonton won. I think that Connor McDavid is where he should be. I think he should be on a Canadian team. And the lineage of 
Gretzky and Messier to McDavid. It, it just makes sense to me. And it felt like he's where he should be and Eichel is where he should be in the United States representing uh, maybe the most important franchise in the United States in terms of TV ratings and revenues and everything we have downtown with Harbor Center and all the different events we host. Yeah, wait like, for that draft. Like the draft this year. Yeah. You know, um, it just seems like ultimately it worked out the way it should be. Maybe there was some destiny uh, at play here because I really do think that uh, McDavid belongs in Edmonton and Eichel belongs in Buffalo.